Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to the podcast. Today's deeper dive is on such an important topic, managing successfully for the long term. And I have the perfect guest to share his long career in independent mortgage banking, and that is Tim Ross. Tim is CEO of Ross Mortgage. It's a leading mortgage banking firm in the Midwest, and Tim has done this for many, many years. Hi, Tim. Hi, Pat. Good to be with you. I'd like to start out before we go into the main topic. Just how did you get into mortgage banking? Pat, I'm probably not that different from many people in mortgage banking today and that I didn't intend to. And as a matter of fact, the family joke was if you were asked as a young child what your father did for a living and people would say he's a plumber, he's a fireman, he's a mortgage banker. And they'd say, well, what's that? And I'd say, I really have no idea. Now I are one. So yeah. I became a mortgage banker sort of by accident, like maybe many people who never really started out thinking about mortgage banking as a career. Well, you're that's exactly true, and I can share the same story. So you're exactly right with that. And so you have done this since really almost what it's been almost 70 years. Is that correct? Right. The, the company has a founding date of 1979. I got sure. into the business after I graduated from college. I was ready to go to work for a, a National Bank of Detroit. I was about to become a, a member of their branch management training program, which meant I think I was about to become a teller. Um, and my dad, who was a mortgage banker in the business, referred me to a company that uh, had an opening and I wound up taking a job in mortgage warehousing and loan delivery, and that was my first introduction to mortgage banking. Well, that's a story that many of us share also. I started on the the op side, the collection side, so we come into it in different ways, that's for sure. And so you have survived really for a very long time in good and bad markets, and I think this is such an important topic. That's why I wanted to have you share some of the things that you have seen over the years, in addition to talking about some of the trends that you don't think mortgage bankers are really identifying now that they should be. So let's start off with all these years you've been in the good market, the bad markets, rising uh, rising rate environment and declining rate environment. What are some of the lessons that you've learned? You know, one of the things uh, that I was uh, thinking about that I wanted to share was a term that I'd heard for the first time um, after the whole financial meltdown in 2008 and so on. I think I'd credit Jamie Dimon with an expression that he used called building a, a fortress balance sheet. And, it, and it, uh, it resonated with me because it's definitely one of those things that allows all of us as independent mortgage bankers, maybe Ross Mortgage over these many years, to be able to weather the, the cycles that that we encounter, and this is certainly one of those and a tough one to be sure. But uh, to have uh, what Jamie referred to as a fortress balance sheet is something that can help any company maintain their business through through tough times. And, and, and fortress balance sheet means that you, you're maintaining good credit ratings, right? And that you're, you're actively uh, monitoring your counterparty risk, which is uh, something that we pay close attention to, as well as our covenants and, and always keeping our bankers informed. But at the end of the day, it's about cash. Cash is king, of course, uh, because you can miss your earnings targets and survive, but you can only run out of cash once. And you so know, maybe I'd add, 
Uh, mm -hmm. One other thing too, and that is that if you do have a, a strong balance sheet, it, it can serve you in a time like this, not, not just in order to be able to weather the cycle, but also it, it gives you deal-making flexibility because historically, companies that do the best deals do them at the trough of the market as right. opposed to the peak. So this is an opportunity for, for growth, even though, make no mistake, we are busy uh, monitoring every dollar that we're spending to run and maintain our business. So are you surprised, Tim, that, again, the last few years were just fabulous, no question about it. Everybody was doing wonderful and really sensational, almost historic. But this new market seems to have caught many people off guard. And from the standpoint that I don't know that they, I guess they felt refinancing was going to still continue. What were your impressions with that? I think the thing that has caught us and maybe most off guard is sort of the rapidity of the change and how quickly things have turned and how quickly these rates have increased. It wasn't a, a slow decline in terms of refinancings as an example. I mean, it shut off virtually overnight. We do as best we can to always be looking forward, uh, working a five-year plan. And last year, uh, in the fourth quarter, we began a negotiation to exit uh, one of our largest office spaces on the basis that um, it, it was pandemic fuel, to be sure. Mm -hmm. In fact, the matter was that we had fewer people working in this large space and that we didn't need it. Uh, need as large a space and still had a couple years left to run on this lease. And that really caused us to begin to examine all of our expenses and right. to work to try and reduce our cost of occupancy. And it served us well as we came into the new year and have continued to examine all of our costs, cost of occupancy, vendor relationships, all of the, the expense that we have associated with making loans. So we were we got an early start I wish I could tell you that it was because we were really expecting business to, to decline to the point that it has. That, that was really not on our radar. But certainly the pandemic had given us a reason to consider just what does the shape of our business look like in the foreseeable future. So when you talk about a five-year plan, how does that, in other words, when did you start implementing that? Is that something you've always done or is that something maybe over the most recent years that you put in place or talk about what's involved with that and when did you start doing that? This is a process that we've been engaged in for at least 12 years now. And so this month, as a matter of fact, we'll begin a couple of days of strategic planning for the coming year. Part of that strategic look is also to be looking out to the next three and five years as part of that plan. Now, obviously, we don't have a crystal ball, sure. but um, it, it does cause you to, to look, in, look at your business in the near term. What, what, are, what do we anticipate in the coming year? But we need to also go out uh, three and five years when we, when we come together and do this planning. It's always interesting, too, to look at what it is that you had set for yourself last year and what you what you had anticipated. Obviously, a lot of things have changed. There was no way to anticipate uh, the market that, that we're experiencing at the minute, but it is it is part of the discussion. So in the planning process, is this involving your branch leaders in addition to the corporate leaders or, or how does that all work? 
So we manage the business with an executive management team here. That's the group of six that engage in the strategic planning. However, leading up to strategic planning, we work with branch managers and they with their loan officers in order to uh, create a forecast that, that we use when we come into, especially the second day of our planning, that allows us to be able to embrace what our production looks like based on the, the expectations of of all the salespeople who work with their manager to establish them and to begin to build budgets around what that expectation is. So are you using the MBA forecast or do you, in other words, you hire certain uh, economists? In other words, do you interface that way to come up with what the forecast looks like or are you just adopting the mortgage bankers forecast that they do? We'll do a, sort of a combination of those. I mean, we'll we'll take a look at the at the MBA and the mm -hmm. agencies and others who are are doing uh, forecasts for the coming year as far as new mortgages concerned. Our loan officers um, have become somewhat better at uh, at forecasting and and using some of this data that we provide to them as well. One of the things that, of course, we've learned over time that. While, you know, maybe just hubris or ego, we'd think, well, that's what they're saying, but we're going to outwork it. We're going to do better than what it is that they are predicting. And my experience has been that it, that's a difficult thing to do. I mean, things do happen and change. You get a big interest rate reduction or something like that. And all of a sudden, you know, you have a, you know, a volume spike because of refi. But by and large, the forecasts are pretty good. If they predict business up, business down, we're going to move with the with the market by and large, and that the the ways that we impact that is by uh, uh, working to recruit people to the team, try and encourage some newer associates to be able to become you know better and 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 higher contributing associates and so on. But it's all within within reason. We we don't allow somebody to come with an aspirational forecast without being able to justify how it is that they expect that they're going to double their business from one year to the next. So since you've been doing this for a little bit, what has been your experience with where your plan's completely off or are most of the time you're 90% there? I think that until you run into a cycle like this, our plans have been good. You know, I'd love to say 90% there. We won't be 90% there this year. As we came into this year, our forecasts, I think, were we were influenced by the most recent two years, which obviously were very good, but we did offer the opportunity to reset at mid-year. So we, we went back in and reset expectations. And so the second half will be 90% there, even though the first half definitely was not. Well, not to give away any of your trade secrets, but to give, looking at three to five years, what do you see as the macro trend within mortgage banking? You know, in terms of our business, we are a purchase money mortgage lender. That is our, you know, our foundational strength. And we've always looked at that as being uh, the long-term sustainable strategy. Refi is obviously uh, mm -hmm. part of the business. It's always part of the business. You know, it's the three Ds of uh, death and divorce and debt, people always need to refinance and that it makes up, you know, 20 to 25 percent of our business in what I would call a normal time. But by and large, we're purchase money mortgage lenders. Mm -hmm. So as far as the macro trend is concerned, I, I expect that um, that interest rates will will moderate. I'm 
just now embracing some of the predictions that I like that would suggest that after the first of the year, we're going to be back in the 5% range, which is, which is manageable to be sure. We'll start to see the housing market, the new, uh, the, the resale housing market begin to improve and that our refi business will, will build back to, again, something that we would suggest is, is more normal which may be 20 or 25% of our business. So right. that, that's what I would be expecting going forward. So do you find after all these years, in other words, is it people that have been in the business and especially when they come off such a strong refi market, that those are the people that have such a hard time because you're really having to think about cutting expenses and other things in anticipation of a much different market. What's been your experience? Does the planning process help with that or is it just something that some people never come to grips? Again, as um, you know, the, as a traditional purchase money mortgage lender, most of our loan officers, those that have been with us for the longest period of time, have long-term relationships and sources of referral in the real estate, builder, and financial services community. So for them, even though they may have neglected some of those people during a heavy mm-hmm. refi opportunity, return to them and you know work to reestablish or reinforce some of those relationships and to be able to to generate you know a volume of business from from those traditional sources of referral. So those are the folks that have been at this for some time. They've mm-hmm. seen these cycles. For newer folks, it's interesting because I have newer associates that are are doing well in this market. But part right. of that is that they didn't experience the real high times. This mm-hmm. is just the market. This is the market that they're. Uh, that they that they know that they're living in today and are working to make a good living doing business in today's environment. Well, I certainly know that experience from training rookies that that's the same thing I see over and over again because they don't know any different. And as long as they're willing to learn, those people, they just go out there and do business. Whereas some of the other folks, it's such a hard hurdle for them that it's very difficult. So I think it's very interesting what you're saying, but certainly what I see for sure. So Tim, when you look at the technology side of it, and you've seen this over a very long length of time, do you factor in, I mean, because if you actually look at production uh, per employee, and when you look at the investment and the cost per loan, it really has not decrease that much <laughs> when you think about it for all the technology investment. What's kind of your strategy on that? You're right. I think that while on one hand, the conversation may have been about how it is that this technology should be able to reduce the cost associated with producing a loan, that, that's not been my experience and it's certainly not been the experience of the industry. I believe that it, it is something that may be able to reduce some of the friction that's involved in the process. And let me take a, just a, a quick right turn on you and tell you one of my favorite lines is that complexity is our friend because it is complexity that allows us to continue to be successful in this business. And as long as the government continues to make this business as difficult as it is, I think that we'll continue to be successful. Now, in the meantime, we use the technology in order to be able to try and reduce friction in the process and to be able to provide the product and the service to the customer in a way that they either require or in some way conveniences them. So that I see that as, as continuing to, to play an important role 
and to the extent that people can use, you know, whatever their mobile device to apply or maybe ultimately close that that sort of thing is is the way that the technology plays out for me. My word to my own group is that I don't know exactly, you know, what it will bring, but the fact of the matter is the technology will continue to evolve and will change the way that we deliver the product and service to the customer. But the one thing that the technology can't duplicate is really the human touch. Mm -hmm. And it is our secret sauce, if you will, mm -hmm. to establish relationships with sources of referral, with the consumer that we serve, and to deliver the product and the service in a way that delights them. We talk about our vision of an unparalleled customer experience such that we establish relationship and a transfer of trust so that they tell the story and that when it's time for them to get new financing or talk to somebody else who needs financing to say, you need to call the people at Ross. They are unbelievable. That's really a good point. I'm curious with your planning. So when you're looking at technology investments, are you factoring in that it doesn't sound like you're factoring in any cost reduction from that? I've yet to find it. <laughs> so the technology is, is expensive. Sure. Case in point. We use the work number in order to, to verify uh, mm -hmm. someone's employment and their continuing employment prior to closing. Well, the fact of the matter is every one of those verifications costs $50. Mm -hmm. So that's a piece of technology that I, I is helpful and, and may be required in, in many instances. But the fact of the matter is there's a cost attached to that. Mm -hmm. And that, while it may convenience us. It may help to expedite the process. It's certainly doing nothing to bring down its cost. Right. And I think that's the point that I see many times with lenders is that this this pricing of technology is expensive and it's all packaged under it's going to save you money but really that hasn't been the case and it's probably no wonder many lenders are a little bit hesitant to be the first out with new technology would you say that's fair i think so i mean we look at our, our uh, what we would call our tech stack mm -hmm. between EOS, LOS, our, our, our pricing engine and the CRM that we use as being, I would call it a state-of-the-art tech stack. So we're a small independent mortgage banking company that uses some of the best technology that's available to us today, but it comes at a cost. We need to do a volume of business in order to be able to justify all of it. But at the end of the day too, it should enable us to do a few different things. One is to, to source new business to be able to do, to take the consumer through the process in a way that, as I said earlier, has less friction. And then at the end of the day, to be able to maintain close contact with them, we'll let them know that in our case, despite the fact that we may have transferred the servicing rights to another lender, our desire to continue to service serve them and their mortgage needs is undiminished. And that uh -huh. we wanna be able to continue to keep that message in front of them and act as a resource so that when they have a mortgage question, um, there is no question in their minds as to whom they would reach out to. So that leads to, let's flip the script a little bit and look at from a planning purpose, how you envision marketing to look like in addition to the investor market. And so uh, let's talk about the marketing side. So are you more prone to invest in technology that generates leads in some way or, or not, or, or do you rather put it in the back office? What's your thoughts on that? 
Because we continue to be a traditional mortgage banking company, employing salespeople, outside salespeople, loan officers who are self-sourcing to, to generate new business, our investment really is on the technology that helps them do so. I think that one of the, you know, because I've been at this for a little while, like you mentioned earlier, back in the ice age, I would call on real estate offices. Right. I would be there with my rate sheets and I'd be meeting people face to face. And of course, that's difficult to do today. The offices are not populated like they once were. So part of the, the use of the technology today is to create a virtual presence uh, of our loan officer in front of the potential source of referral or the or the client uh, to be able to be in touch with them using the technology and demonstrating our value, uh, being able to, to serve the customer and to use the technology to do so, even though, as I said earlier, it is relationship, I believe, that carries the day mm -hmm. and that there needs to be a component here where we find ways in order to be able to, if possible, meet people face to face. Now, in many cases with the consumer, that's going to be at the closing table because we will go and and we will you know meet someone in person that we haven't met before just to solidify the relationship the source of referral that's a little different we can create opportunity to see people face to face even though it's not necessarily in the traditional sense of calling on an office and finding them there so to your question it is the use of technology to help put ourselves into the market in front of potential sources referral and consumers who may need our product or service or a consumer who has taken advantage of our, our product and service. Yeah, great point. And I think it's smart for sure. And then when you look at, well, let's look at the investor side of it. And so kind of what's your view regarding when you're looking at your planning when it comes to the investor world? As we can see now with non-QM, I mean, those folks are having difficulty that maybe 18 months ago certainly wasn't the case. So what do you kind of assume going forward? It's an interesting thing, and it may be it may be part of a historical approach to the business. As an example, we didn't participate in subprime. Part of the reason that we did not, not only was it my father at the time who, who refused to <laughs> embrace subprime lending, but it's because a number of long-term loan officers who have been traditional verification of income, asset, and credit, making loans to qualified borrowers from whom we expected timely repayment. So subprime was really outside of our comfort zone besides just finding it to be disagreeable in, in some ways or maybe inappropriate in some ways. Mm -hmm. I think we are, we've experienced the same thing with some of the non-QM options, maybe a, a little bit of lack of familiarity and comfort with that business has not allowed our people here to really embrace it. And as a result, you know, our, our experience with it is very, very modest. So that as it as it goes away, maybe we're not surprised, but also we're not necessarily harmed by the fact that uh, it becomes less available. So Tim, what, from your viewpoint, if you had to look a few years out, as I've already mentioned, uh, what do you think there's some big topics that maybe people aren't thinking about that they should be thinking about? Well, again, I, I think that uh, in terms of the, the business model, you know, we continue to enhance the relationships that we that we have with our, our sources of referral and our close client base. I think that, again, from a very you know personal strategic point of view, staying in close contact with those folks who've done business with us, who become 
Mm -hmm. sources of referral are folks that we need to use the technology to to stay in close contact. And as that technology becomes better, the opportunity you know may present itself uh, maybe in the case of a refinance to to do that for somewhat less. Uh, is is one of the things that we would look at, as well as an opportunity to to niche certain markets, not trying to be all things to all people, but to determine the markets that we want to play in, those that produce the the greatest amount of uh, return on a on a per loan basis, and to become you know specialized in some of these areas and not have to compete on on um, maybe thirty year fixed rate conventional is the most um, you know widely known and accepted type. Yeah, that's a really good point. And so we only have a few minutes left. Could you share with our audience today what are some of the takeaways that you would like them to think about about having the business be successful for a long time? Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe this. Every every storm runs out of rain. And this one will as well. Uh, this is this is a tough time, and and we're a business that has its headquarters and much of its operation loaded located in Michigan. And as a result, um, we typically see some downturn that has to do with the season and the weather and so on. So as we go into uh, the end of this year, the beginning of next year, you know our focus will continue to be on on managing the cost side of the equation being able to continue to attract producers to our platform, which is something that I think most everybody is attempting to do, but to try as best we can to identify people that are good fits to our team and culture, people that will will come here and remain here uh, and enjoy a, a long-term relationship of mutual benefit. Higher to your to your core values here, here at Ross, we, we talk about four different things. One is that we're hardworking. It doesn't mean we just work all day and night. It means that we work hard to ensure that promise to the customer is kept, that we're knowledgeable, and we spend a lot of time teaching our people the business so they have context and they understand how all the pieces fit together because we believe that the more they know, understand, they can answer questions, and they can deliver better service as a result that were helpful because not everybody can get a mortgage and they may need some guidance on saving some money, being on the job longer, paying down some debt, something like that. We, we help put them on the road to home ownership. And then finally, not only do we do things right, we do the right thing. We never put somebody into a circumstance that could cause them harm. That if you fit into all of these uh, core values, you're going to be enormously successful here, have a long-term career and that as as others look at their businesses and think about people that they want to have work for them, make sure that they're good fits to the team and culture. And that's something that can inure to your very long-term success. Well, they certainly are words of wisdom for sure. And I want to thank you, Tim, for sharing them. And certainly I want to thank our listeners. I certainly appreciate you spending time with us today. Thanks so much, Tim. Thanks, Pat. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We appreciate you spending time with us. If your sales team needs training in hiring and lead generation, schedule a free consultation by emailing me at psherlock at qfsconsulting.com.